0: Hi there, welcome to Terry's Doing It podcast. Last month, we talked with Timothy Workman. She's an award-winning writer and photographer. She saw a need to strike out and express her creativity uniquely as a travel writer and a photographer. Uh, We called her approach boat building, uh, launching a non-traditional means to do something different and amazing. Today, I'm with two kindred spirits, uh, with me are Jan and Tammy Dewe- DeVeard. Say it, please. DeVeard. De yes, yeah, so I watched a, a video of you guys. Or what You weren't on it, but they were saying how to say your name and <laughs> even how to spell your name. So I've been really doing my research. You know, that was really
1: my only contribution to Tammy, to give her this wonderful last <laughs> well, name.
0: Well, it's really so
1: nice. That, that When she uh, ran for me or she said, Jan, I'm gonna drop your last name. It's going to be Mayor <laughs> Tammy. Tammy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it worked really well. I, I also saw some interesting little um, clips about giggling when you called yourself Mayor Tammy. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Right, yeah. Tell since I brought that up, why did you giggle?
2: Uh because it sounded so formal and I've never been into that pretense. And primarily it was Uh, when I was leaving my voice message on my phone and had just gotten into office. So every time I tried to say, hi, you've reached Mayor Tammy DeVeard, it was just like, okay, it's just Mayor Tammy.
0: Yeah, that works. That works. Well, so back to the script, folks. With me today are are Tammy and Jan DeVeard. Theirs is the story of two really accomplished professionals who had separate careers for many years, one in agriculture and the other in politics and public service, who retired and combined their passions for agriculture and wines with family and travel. Uh, When they retired, they didn't just sail into the sunset, they built a speedboat and they're racing for it. Mm -hmm. Welcome, Jan and Tammy, thanks for joining me.
2: Thank you, it's a pleasure.
0: You bet. Well, first off, an explanation. If you're not familiar with the podcast, Terry's Doing It isn't really about me. I like talking to passionate people who get out there and make things happen because they couldn't live with themselves if they didn't. Does that description fit both of you? Why or why not?
1: Well, that's a little extreme, I would think. (laughs) But um, yeah, you know... When I told people I was retiring from my last career with Lem Weston, I said, don't think I'm going to be sitting in a rocking chair and petting the dog. I just, you know, um, want to get a grip of my own time and go after, in my next chapter, over things I'm truly passionate about. And I think that really drives it. And I think that drives both of us and that fills our cup.
2: Yeah, you know, it's important to live with a purpose. And, you know, both of us in our careers had a a real, a real meaningful purpose. And we didn't see that change when we stepped out of our ruled by our calendar jobs to where now we're in charge of our own.
0: Nice. Well, I, I'm just, I'm actually have just announced my retirement from my part-time job. Uh, I retired from a full-time job, and so come about July 1st, I'll be going through that transition again. It's lots of fun.
2: Congratulations.
0: Um, Thank you. Thank you. I, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Jan, this is the first time you and I are meeting. Tammy and I have gotten to know each other in local government throughout the years, uh, I want to know more about you. These are the things I know right now. You grew up on a potato farm in Holland. Yeah, correct. And you got you got your PhD from WSU, Washington State University, in horticulture. Mm-hmm. And I have to ask you about that, Tammy. Did you go to U of I, University of Idaho?
2: I took classes at both U of I and at WSU, but I didn't. Oh. I I didn't get a degree.
0: Well, always the diplomat, because I'm aware that there's a little bit of uh, of rivalry between the two universities. So that probably was a good a good thing. Yeah, but <laughs> the
1: good part was when I was at, at Wazoo at Washington State University, she was working there. And as you said, indeed, in potatoes, right? And, you know, I always kind of joke around with people. I mean, really, if studying potatoes... You know, after a while, your eyes start to wonder a little bit, and here all of a sudden she showed up.
0: <laughs> and she was a hot potato, right? <laughs> from Idaho. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> Idaho's fun. Yeah. Well, um, what year did you retire?
1: Oh, I just uh, retired from my uh, my position, my job at Lem Weston. That was uh, August uh, a year ago, in 22. 22.
0: So there's a lot of space between um, your graduate degree and and your retirement, we'll get to that. Um, but I found a clip uh, of yeah. you that I thought was so excellent and I'd just like to show it to everybody. Let's do that now, shall we? Yep. Hmm.
3: We're out of hash browns. Oh no! We need some lamb Weston hash browns. Where are
2: we gonna get them?
1: We gotta make a run for
3: it fast. A cobra. That's what we're
1: gonna take. Only the best for the best. best. Yes. Oh, awesome! You got him. Awesome, Let, let's start lasted. cooking. Very important, you get a nice single layer so we can make them, you can sear them on both sides and get them nice and crispy. Dennis, fantastic, great. Incredible speed. Only the best for the best.
0: Idaho potato. Uh So I also found a quote, and I think you said it, but I'm not sure. So you mm-hmm. tell me. Potatoes make French fries, chips, and vodka. It's like the other vegetables aren't even trying. Did you nope. make that up?
1: No, nope. No, for sure not. <laughs> I, I, I wish I had that kind of creativity, but I saw it and I could so relate to that. No, not only that, it was just it's a great way to express my passion for potatoes. And as you already mentioned earlier, I grew up on potato farm I studied potatoes, I went across the world, you know, to, uh, to advance that further at Washington State University, and then really my career all along has been in potatoes. So really, when, I, when, when, when people ask me, you know, and as soon as they, they hear me talking, they, they, just, they, they detect this accent, and they ask, wow, what brought you to Idaho? And I tell them, okay... You only have one guess, and you can only use one word, but what comes to mind, you know? And so it is potatoes. potatoes. And so, uh, yeah, that really, uh, it's a very special crop. It's uh, an intriguing crop, not only from the technical and the growing side, but also from the business side. And when you grow up on the farm, you know, you have this intermix of technical questions of how much to use and when to plant and when to do this and when to do that. But every time you ask that question, the the flip side of that, how will that impact the business uh, prospect, right? The cost, the, uh, you know, will it help or will it hurt? And so growing up as a kid in that environment and working on your farm and seeing your family dealing with that and then becoming ultimately part of that, I took that along in my studies and later on in my career where I worked for Monsanto for uh, almost 10 years, trying to really make an improvement in this world by using genetics and at that time the whole dubbed GMO genetics around potatoes yeah. to really make smart crops you know crops that could that could sustain in the environment where they were grown without having to spray without having to do all these artificial things that you need to do today to grow a crop to make these crop more resilient and smarter. But then, that of course, that came—that whole roller coaster ride came to a, a huge uh, squeaking end at the end when the the, the the society just wasn't ready for that kind of revolutionary technology. And uh, yeah, then I worked, had my own business for about ten years, centered around potatoes as well, in in business development, in technical development, and all that. And uh, then my last 14 years, I uh, put all that experience and and, and knowledge together in my, um, in my ag, you know, strategy job for LEM Weston.
0: Interesting. So you, I'll take you back to the first thing you said, which was that you're, you're passionate about potatoes. Can you tell me in a sentence or two, why are you passionate about potatoes? Because it is
1: a challenging crop, it's maybe one of the most challenging crop. It requires it's one of the crop that that requires more investment per acre than most any other crop, and it makes just a wonderful product. It yeah. makes fries, yeah. and you know when I came to the United States and I got to eat that first piping hot French fry from McDonald's and dipping it in real ketchup, I was hooked. Yeah. So, not only you know it was challenging from a from from a mental perspective but i just love the product
0: mm. well so if you had to give me the top 3 accomplishments in your illustrious career what would those be
1: you know i think really advancing the industry across the world you know uh working with with a team of people to to really make this a sustainable crop that provides a good income for growers, a reliable income from growers, but also in a way that you get continuously better—you know, more efficient, more productive—and in a sustainable way that is that helps the helps the environment to sustain and helps to really be the, become a, have this a nutritious crop that can be grown, you know, in years to come.
0: How many varieties, different varieties of potatoes are there in the world anyway?
1: Well, you know, that's, that's, you know, technically to answer that over 4,000. Wow. But if you really look at the predominant varieties that are used, let's say in the processing industry, there's maybe 10 and huh. that's about it. And on the fresh side, maybe twice as much. So there's really, this is really not even an 80, 20 rule. There's more like a 95, five rule.
0: Wow. So, okay, so now let's transition to Tammy. But first, tell me how you met her and how you ended up in Meridian.
1: I alluded to that a little bit. I, I mean, I hear I was studying at Washington State University, right? Potatoes, right? <laughs> this brown little round thing. So uh, she was working at Washington State University. And um, when I first saw her at this party, And I learned at the university, they don't need, they have parties every weekend, and I always had some theme, uh, and it was really easy to organize a party. But there I saw her, in her, at that time, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes, blue jeans. I mean, it represented just this beautiful Western lady, and um, I was so struck, we didn't even talk with each other that first time. (laughs) <laughs> but there was a connection and uh we got together again and again and finally we started to go out.
0: Did he catch your eye too, Tammy?
2: Oh yeah, he caught every girl's eye that was there, <laughs> which is probably why I kept my distance. Um his accent, his eyes and so yeah. I was I was smitten.
0: Ah. Uh-huh. Well, so I understand you are a fourth generation Idahoan. Yes. Yeah, were you born in Moscow?
2: No, I was born in Boise. Oh. In fact, okay. I, I did full circle. I had my last child, my
0: youngest, um, the same hospital I was born in. Oh, nice. So yeah. you were at, at, uh, working at Wazoo or U of I?
2: Yes, um, my parents, my both my parents, we uh, were born in Pocatello, but my mom grew up here in Boise. They met at Idaho State University, and my dad was a coach and teacher at Bora High School when it first opened up. Um, eventually, he left uh, to uh, continue coaching and he landed in Moscow to sell insurance and to help with the University of Idaho's uh, football team.
0: Nice, so you are your roots really go deep here in this Treasure Valley.
2: Uh, it runs deep, although I was born in Boise, but I moved away when I was young, um, before I started elementary school. So I was basically raised in, in Moscow.
0: How how did you get from from Moscow back down to Boise then?
2: Uh, well, Jan and I, uh, we married in 1988, and that's when he completed his doctorate. Well, he completed his doctorate in 92, and um, his job took us down here, and we found a home in Meridian. We loved the school district, and we wanted something that, um was that education aspect was good was important for our kids.
0: Was the job with the City of Meridian as Parks Director your first job when you got back to Boise?
2: Actually I wasn't the Parks Director. Oh I'm um, sorry. Started as a volunteer with um kind of an ad hoc committee that was in essence the parks department. Um a group of citizens, and then they officially formed uh, a commission—the Parks and Recreation Commission—and uh, the Parks Department at the time was under the Public Works Department. And they hired their first director. Um, we helped them hire their first director as the Parks Commission, and it kind of went from there.
0: Well, I. You know, I'm not ever going to totally trust anything I find on the internet anymore. Um, but I think this may be true that since, let me see, 1903, you were Meridian's only female mayor. Is that right?
2: 1903. Well, 1903 is a
0: stretch because I'm not. <laughs> I can't believe anything. <laughs>
3: That's oh my god. Remember, remember remember I was
2: I was elected at, in two thousand three and started my, my service in two thousand four. And yes, I was the first elected mayor that was a female as well as um myself and another um city council member. We were the first um elected women on city council as well. And the at same. the time I was known as the Parks Lady. Uh, Because really, that is how I got involved with the city. Uh, When we, parks were really important in my upbringing when I grew up in Moscow. And when we moved down here, we only had one park. And it was important for me to um, have that same experience for our kids. And so I got involved in the community uh, to uh, find ways that we could bring parks to meridian
1: and that kind of gets to your theme here terry (laughs) because you know tammy right and when she sees something that isn't right or could be Mm -hmm. better she's not one that sits back and whines about it she's one that that, that rolls up her sleeve and gets involved and so yeah my job took me here because hey idaho potatoes we explained that and she was at that time raising a very young family with, you know, four young kids, and they needed park space, and there wasn't any park space here in Meridian. There was just lots of space for building houses, and so she got engaged and basically high stepped to the mayor, and uh, tried to work there with city hall at that time to make a difference.
0: The the thing that I, as a woman, that I really appreciate about Tammy's approach is that i've heard you say that you want to be known as a competent mayor not as a female mayor Uh, and i think that's really what all of us should strive for is just to be competent productive citizens and not male or female but yeah so kudos
2: well it's important to be a good human being but I think it was also recognized. I, I got a, a note card from a competitive woman bodybuilder, and and she competed on competed on the world's um, scene or world str- uh, stage, and she wrote me a, a note after she got uh, a congratulation card for me, and she said, you know. I was showing my kids the note from you, and and they were so surprised that a woman was the mayor. And she mm-hmm. said, it never occurred to me as a woman in a non-traditional um, sport as well that I needed to raise the awareness to my kids that uh, women are not restricted based on their gender. It was really on their frame of mind, and, and that always held um, a, a little space there, and we can't take that for granted. We need to, to make sure that our, our girls, and I have three, three of the four children that we have are girls, that they're not limited by their gender, that they That's really true. are capable um, based on their attitude and aptitude and, and drive.
0: Well, you know, we could talk about your accomplishments for a long time, but I do have a clip that I'm going to show in a minute. Uh, but first, when we, we had coffee a couple of weeks ago at The Village, um, it which is a large, beautiful, uh, developed shopping center that you had a major hand in bringing to fruition. And I asked you um, how it felt to walk into a place that was there because, in part, you were there. Can you can you remind me what you said? I
2: I think I remember this every single time I go out there. Just the complete, utter joy we felt when we were sitting there on out on this deck and watching the the fountain um, synchronized to music and. And just thinking we're in the busiest intersection in the state of Idaho. This is Meridian. And it was like this um, retreat from the real world into this um, Vanisole, Vanisole, um, beautiful um, place. And yeah. it was in Meridian. That was yeah. a proud
0: moment. Well, I won't belabor it, but I... I do remember Meridian being named the most livable city at one point. I do remember hearing that you took it from, what, 10,000 population to over 100. So certainly there's lots we could talk about, but there's more we want to talk about. So I'll save that for the clip. Have you both seen the movie Golda, about Golda Meir? No. In that movie, there's a, a really interesting quote that that i bought when she said it um, she's talking to the young ariel sharon and she said every political career ends in failure well that's not true and so let's watch this clip and see how failed your administration was or wasn't
4: oh, this, is the this is the 16th state of the city address for meridian mayor tammy Devereed. Oh, oh final curtain call to the theme of musical blockbuster greatest showman
2: my what's next is as the greatest showman said in the final scene i'm going to watch my girls grow up. so true this time for my family.
4: the mother of four says this decision is sparked by one reason in particular i lost my dad last fall and um, I kind of had an awakening. Now she says she's rethinking her
2: priorities. And family is important, and I have a grandbaby on the way, and I haven't been able to really get to know my other grandchildren like I'd like to. So it's time to focus on my family.
4: But those aren't the only priorities she's rethinking. She now has 10 months to get done what she hopes to achieve. I've
2: had to prioritize
4: my list. Some of these she says include roads and schools preserving open space and development. I would like to see a couple of
2: the projects we've been working with um, realized in our downtown
4: or at least starting. Her chief of staff says these are the very projects that have kept Mayor Tammy tethered to her duties all these years.
0: You're always working weekends evenings early mornings so it's time for her to enjoy her life.
4: And while it's family she looks to spend more time with, she's optimistic about the other family she leaves behind. Well, that's kind of bittersweet. So what Absolutely. does the mayor really, is she focuses on certain projects that she wants to get done before she leaves? Absolutely, yeah. She says she's looking at striking that balance of preserving and defining open space to Meridian citizens amid all this recent growth so they can develop in the ways that citizens prefer to.
3: Well, she'll be missed. All right, thanks, Madeline.
0: So, Tammy, you lost your father right before you retired and you said that you were retiring to watch your girls grow up and it was time for your family how has it felt to you to be there for them
2: yeah it's been a real special time it it did not uh i don't think we missed the beat when i stepped out of office it was stepping out of office um on my own terms And it was a nice time to reconnect with my family that I understand had a lot of sacrifice, uh, giving their mom's time uh, to the community because we were a 24-7 position. But also it was something that my kids understood what community was all about and how important it was to be part of a solution when you saw an issue so it was kind of one of their civic responsibilities and i feel like uh, we raised some great citizens uh, that understand more about the community that surrounds them and yeah reconnecting with my kids my grandkids and my husband uh, was um, was very special it's a it's a great new chapter
0: well, it seems it's also has been a metamorphosis of two separate and distinct passions becoming one. And so in a way, you've sort of married married your passions uh, for this part of your life. And I think that's what's so excited about your um, launch into Spoken Wines. Um, talk about the process of deciding to start that. Do you call it a business? Do you call it a, uh, a, a labor of love? What do you call spoken wines?
1: <laughs> well, it is um, all
2: the above.
1: All the above. It's in development. <laughs> so really, you know, what drove it was we, we've been enamored with wine for a long time, you know. And when we go, when we finally had vacation, a week here, a week there, we basically traveled to some wine region around the world. And 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 that and, and we just dug in there. You know, like I, I vividly remember when we first ever set foot in Italy, we went just to Tuscany for 10 days. And when we came back, people asked, wow, you know, did you go to Rome? Uh, no. Nope. <laughs> well, did you go to Venice? No. Nope. Well, at least Florence. No, we just were right there in the Chianti area for five days north of Siena. And then we moved the whole 50 kilometers south south of Siena and we stayed in the Brunello and and Montecano area just to get to know the winemakers, the wine region, and to just, you know, learn and experience that wine region. Mm -hmm. And with that, yes, it's wine and we're passionate about wine. We love wine, but wine is so much more. And you've seen that in some of the videos, wine connects. And as you probably have kind of sense now we're both people, 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 Tammy, very much so in our community. And, and, and for us, when we travel, we both want to connect with cultures and with people. And in that whole setting around a winery and wine, where there's generally a small family business tolling, working the land, putting everything they got into that vineyard and making them this just this wonderful product, this wonderful wine out of that, that they not only express themselves, who they are as people and their belief systems, it expresses the soil that they work on. It expresses the predecessors that were there. and to- So
2: it's more than liquid in a bottle, yes. it's life in a glass. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's, uh, life in a glass is a quote from a wine grower that we got to interview in South Africa in Parle. And he just really was able to totally um, put his hands around our passion. Is it's life in a glass?
0: That's really uh, a special way to to think about it and to communicate the value of wine. I think it's really uh, underrated. It's a party. I don't know what you, enhancer. But really, wine is so much more.
1: Yeah, it connects people.
0: And therefore, going
1: back to your question, today we're starting that up. And today it is a passion project. It very much is a passion product. But we're both always, we stand with both feet on the ground. It has to be sustainable and also economically sustainable. So we pour it into a business format. And and we're setting it up as such that it can grow as such sustainably and that it becomes a viable business.
0: I don't see anything like it out there on the market. So explain your business model, uh, if it's not protected trade secrets.
2: No, I, I think um, starting out, it's it's um, we, we're wine storytellers. And we hope that the wines that we have a preference to, it, it, it really um, replaces that wall of wine shock. So that people can buy with confidence, if they like the wine set that we enjoy, uh, they can purchase those bottles uh, with confidence that they'll enjoy them as well. So we we do affiliate sales. Um, Jan and I, as we travel the different wine regions, uh, do spend a lot of time finding the right wines. It can't be just a great wine with no good story. can't be just a, a compelling story without a, a really amazing wine. It has to be both. And we have to be satisfied with that. And then it's a, a then we approach the, the winery and say we'd like to do this with them. Uh, we Jan has been spending a lot of time figuring out the importing um, aspect of it, how to get the wine to your home so that they can experience that wine themselves. But it's not just experiencing wine. It's, it's being able to share the story too.
1: Yeah. So how it then works is we don't buy and sell wine. We tell the story. We lift up these experiences that we have to our followers and And if you have a good wine and now you get the context and the story behind it, Terry, that wine tastes better. Mm -hmm. Believe me, it really does. So what we're doing is we're telling the story, you know, around around the place where that wine is produced, the people behind it and their belief system, culture. So we bring up that story and then we want to bring that experience that we had there by traveling there to the people that follow us. But how can they get that if they can actually get access to that wine? So from our YouTube video we uh, we link people to our website and then wherever people are in the in the world if they want the particular wine that we talked about and say oh I want to experience that for myself or I have a dinner party coming up I want to share it with my friends or family they can then go on our website and click on the country that they're at and then then that will automatically link them to an online wine store that can del- that where they can order and will deliver the wine to their doorstep. Right. Great. And then, so the business model behind it underneath is that when we guide traffic from our website to the online, uh, online web store, wine store site, we get a commission and an affiliate percentage of that to support our business.
0: Which then enables you to go back out and find more wonderful stories.
1: Exactly. So that's how right. we build the business. And just the affiliate side of things is not enough. Um, but we, in the meantime, really build this YouTube channel. And then, and this YouTube channel is all about, you know, sharing that wonderful experience around the world, sharing that people, wherever they're in the, in the world, doesn't matter how they look, how they dress, or how they are. You peel those layers away and you see these beautiful people behind it. That's what we want to share around this theme of this wonderful product that they make the wine and how they express them in that wine. And now you can experience it at their home. That is really our purpose of our business. That is, that is our mission.
2: And so ancillary to that is, you know, we, we do hope to build a following and, um, in, you know, make this something that also on the social media platforms that you have some influences and some income from that. But ultimately, we do hope that uh, you have travel areas that um, approach us and say, we'd love to get your recommendations and maybe even spoken wine tours. Not that we do, but we partner with existing travel entities that would um, like to, to use um, our knowledge and experience and, and get people to the right places that they're going to be inspired by and they will know that they'll enjoy that wine. Yeah.
0: I think there's a market for that. And this is exactly what uh, Timothy and I were talking about building a new boat. Yeah. It's uh, the old ways of doing things are fine, And they work for some people, but there are those of us who say, I need to start a podcast or I need to do this, or I need spoken wines. Let's take a little break right now. Give me the website address so that folks can multitask and go check it out.
2: Excellent. It's www.spokenwines.com.
0: Thank you. We're going to watch a video from your website now. Um, it does a really good job of communicating uh, not just the passion of the storyteller, but also of the wine grower and the winemaker. And so let's stop and watch that right now. It's really a lovely video.
3: Hi everyone. I'm Edward Peterson, the wine grower at Vallefonte. Wine grower grow wine. He focused on producing the best berries possible to make the best wines in the world. Vines are very special, they are like human. You can put them everywhere at any place. And depending on how you nurture them, they will just give you what you what you give them, they will give you. Vines is their per own personalities. Each wine behave different versus the other. Depending on the terroir terroir, into these ancient soils where they are planted or where they found themselves. And based on that, um, I have to understand the vine and sort of do what is necessary for that particular vine individually. These soils are alive, you know, and soils themselves, they tell the stories through the, the behavior of the vine. And to get the instant soil and the vine to sort of collaborate and working together, um, I use all of these techniques and skills um, to sort of stand trying to understand what needs to be done, when and how. Through the year, you have all these sequences that the vine are going through the phenology stages. And each phenology stage is, there's a time frame on that. And it's very important that we capture every moment of their time. It's like a relationship. And with that, we sort of trying to manage um, having enough clusters, but having these small berries that hangs on these clusters. And that's pretty much our focus, is to see that we have the balance within the vine, within the cluster, and that is our focus point.
2: Hi, I'm Tammy.
1: And I'm Jan. And we're
2: Spoken Wines.
1: Well, here we have the elusive series M and C from the ancient souls of a place far away in the land called Parle. Well, these two distinct Bordeaux style wines were made from super small berries, concentrated, that had to work really hard to get these ancient souls to release their gift. Really, these wines are made with precision and perfection really seen anywhere
2: else. After you listen to Ed, uh, the wine grower, you just want to hug a bottle and feel his love. I mean, Ed has such passion, care, and intimate connection with the soil, and the vines, and the berries he grows. And that love you'll find back in this wine. With each sip, you can sense that journey that struggle and that compassion.
1: Yeah. The uh, Series M is super smooth and extremely well balanced with this concentrated dark fruit. It can easily be drank just on its own and be your meal for the day. Yes. It uh, brings this tension that once it hits the palate it gets released and it feels like a long-awaited hug. Now the cat driven Series C is a different story. It has serious power and not for the faint of heart. It's well-structured, potent, deeply penetrating and lingering on the finish forever. Serve it with your best cut of meat, but not too lean.
2: And then seriously. The seriously old dirt is a budget-friendly alternative that is still a major overachiever for its price. It is an easy, accessible Bardot blend with lots of flavor. In fact, we had it with a simple mushroom soup, and immediately it made it a culinary event. Yeah, it sure did. These are some very high-quality wines. Recently, they won outright the Bardot red wine category in the International Wine and Spirits Challenge, and the 2019 Series C won Best in Class in the Six Nations Challenge. Um, Their wine club membership is now on a waiting list, but the good news is you can click on the link below to assess these wonderful wines yourself.
1: Yeah. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel So you can join us on our next journey finding exhilarating wines like these with just incredible stories from around the world.
0: Yes, we are Spoken Wines.
1: Cheers. Cheers.
0: Now, um, I understand it's a family business, and so you have at least two daughters who live internationally?
2: Yes.
4: One in South
2: Africa, um, South Africa, and the other one is in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. And the four of us, we talk weekly and um, everyone brings a different wine preference and a a different skill set to to the team. And we have a a non-family member, team member as well. And he is our art director, and he's also
0: um, out of Cape Town. Excellent. So I did read also, Jan, that you said some of the best wines produced in the same regions where you grow some of the best potatoes. Do they grow potatoes there? And is that why, is that how you choose your wines? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no. You know, wine and potatoes, wine and French fries actually go quite well together, but that's that, that's true because really a a good potato for making French fries is a potato that has to be hot, high in starch, right, to really get this nice, fluffy inter- interior texture and this crispy outside texture. Well, that kind of climatic condition works really well for, for these red varieties that are, are made to... Make that intense wine that you can store for a longer period of time. They both need lots of sunshine. They need they need good day temperatures and low night temperatures, especially around time of maturity and harvest. Both potatoes and and uh, and, and and grapes need that to really produce a high quality product. And so, yes, you do find in these areas where you can grow very good potatoes for fries. They can also uh, it's also conducive for growing very high quality grapes.
2: So when you talk about terroir and the diurnal, um, aspects of the the weather, uh, all of these different things, the soil types, it's so, um, so similar yet there are differences. But as you can see, he gets totally passionate about it. (laughs) And when we go on a wine tasting, Terry, it is not a thirty-minute exercise. We are we're there for a couple hours, um, tasting the same amount of wine that everyone else does, but really trying to drill down and understand it, understand their their stories, understand um, the the growing challenges, understanding their their triumphs and and trials.
1: Yeah, so this horticulture degree from Washington State University <laughs> is paying off there because um, really any wine, any winemaker would tell you the wine is made in the vineyard. You know, the rest is all about managing and maintaining that quality that you got in that grape when you harvested it. And so the whole growing aspect, the, 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 the viticulture in this case, the agronomy behind it is so critical to really produce a high quality grape.
0: While we were watching the video, we were chatting, and you told me this story about Edward Peterson. Uh, And and I'd like you to repeat that for the listeners now, because it's it's a pretty great story.
1: Okay. Um, So, Ed Peterson is, and he will correct you, because I asked him, Ah, okay, so you're the viticulturist? He said, No, 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 no. I am the wine grower. Mm-hmm. And because he is so passionate in everything that he does here, everything is for the purpose to grow that perfect berry that he says, that grape to re- to, to make that excellent wine. And so um, I was talking about these ancient soils where he is, where he has planted these, these vines. And then he is managing these vines to grow these high quality grapes, which is a challenge because ancient soils are very healthy in nature, but nutritionally poor. And so when you plant vines in those soils, those roots need to go super deep to really find that energy and that nutrition to produce these these quality grapes. And uh, Ed has to just work with these vines and these vines have to work super hard to get these soils to release their gift and uh, he talks about how he does that there's such great passion and care for these vines he has ninety six thousand vines there and, he
2: and said, i think he almost knows every single one by name wow wow
1: and that's what it takes to really produce a high quality product and by the way that same trait you'll find back in potato growers too that produce mm-hmm. a very high quality potato
0: sure well so um is he working on being a soil whisperer? Is he working on his soil health? Or is he just really feeling that he's getting the most out of using the soil that he has, producing the wine that he gets?
1: Yeah, I, I would, if you want to use the word whisperer, I would call, say, say he's, a, he's a vine whisperer, the vine to grow, but it's- a a vine hugger. <laughs> it, it is indeed all about the soil. You, you gotta have a healthy soil. And not only a soil that is healthy that season, but that sustainably and continues to improve over time. So, yes, he's all about that. And then you have to deal with the season at hand, right? And in agriculture, there's no season the same. So you have to be able to turn on the dime and recognize what you're dealing with and then apply the right uh, ap- applications and methods to, uh, to guide that vine through the season to still get to that high quality product.
0: Have, have you, uh, I know that you've got two wines that you, and stories that you tell from South Africa. What other regions are you looking toward in the future?
2: Well, we uh, just got back from a four and a half month trip in South Africa, but also in Australia, which has a number of different regions within that, that um, have totally different wines in each of the regions. But we also traveled last year to Mexico. We will be traveling this spring to Italy and um, Argentina. Actually, when I retired, we were almost a month in Argentina.
0: I saw that on Facebook Yes, yeah. and was very jealous. <laughs> but, Cherry, we
1: also travel to our own backyard. So our, yes. our next video that will come up will actually be about a, just a wonderful winery in our own Idaho.
2: In our own backyard. And, Interesting. Um, so both Idaho, we'll, we'll um, be working with a couple of Idaho wineries, but also in the Walla Walla area, which um, is one of our favorites as well.
0: When my husband and I got married in 1982, we moved to Spokane, and he got a job working for, I think I don't think it's around anymore, there were three wineries in Washington State at that point, and it was called Warden's Winery uh, in Spokane. And then we worked also for Hogue Cellars down in the Prosser area. So um, it's I'm sure those are going to be lovely videos, and I can't wait to see them as well. Will you also handle them as a um, a, a business as well, or? We'll yeah, be to... In the same
1: format, we highlight the yeah. winery, we tell the story, and then give people around the world a chance to uh, to get that experience for themselves by linking them to a to an online store that sells that wine in their region.
2: But also a little bit different mm-hmm. because it's right here at home and in our backyard. We're uh, partnering with Boise Co-op and Hell's Canyon Winery to have kind of a release day at, at the Meridian Boise Co-op and bring people together to see the video release to taste some of the wine and um, really have a chance to uh, have that interaction and make it more of an intimate experience.
0: Well, I am on your newsletter list, so I will definitely be there. Um, I'm looking forward to that. Where do you see this all going? What's your big, hairy, audacious goal for 10, 20 years from now?
2: You know, personally, I I would like it to be something that is sustainable, that it's a, a business that um, our girls could take it on and make a good living. And really, I, one of the first things that we we really expressed is people for centuries have been coming around the table, connecting over food. And we think an important ingredient to that is the beverage and that's the wine that pairs with that food. We would love to see people across the globe coming together over good food and good wine and um, ultimately uh, experiencing these different cultures that I think bring down barriers that uh, we need to do as, as a world to find better peace, to understand. And we think that this is a a great way of doing it is by understanding different cultures, different Mm -hmm. people and places that, that you can start finding common ground and, um, and more resilience and tolerance of each other. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I love your. Oh, go ahead.
1: Yes. So so we, you know, we want to connect the family that makes the wine with the family that drinks the wine Mm. and, and wine connects, wine gets stimulates communication. And, you know, once people start talking and listening to each other, you know, barriers come down and there's going to be better understanding among each other. And if we can do our little part on that through our passion to help with that, um, that is where our long-term heart is at.
0: I love your values, which are reflected in various places on your website, your people, places, and cultures. And that just really sums up those values. You've both been really true to following your dreams while staying true to your values. I I know that after watching uh, Mayor Tammy for years as she operated with a a sometimes unwieldy system. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're doing that, you're still living that. What would you say to the person who may have had a successful career but yearns to do something meaningful with their life to step out and and make a difference or whatever it is. What would you say to them to encourage them to, uh, take, take the step?
2: Well, I've always talked about, um, living your passion. And I think that that's what Jen and I are doing is we're living, living, we lift our passion and our careers and we're continuing that in what we're doing together. Um, traveling and um, finding that next great wine with compelling story that we can share and get people enthusiastic and know again that there's more than just liquid in a bottle, there's life in a glass and, and there's so much
0: behind that. Well, this has been a real pleasure for me. I'm sorry that it's over. But once again, I want to remind people, www.spokenwines.com. Jan and Tammy, you guys exemplify the spirit of Carpe Diem. I think you are two people who go out and seize the day. You've inspired, huh?
2: Just like you.
0: Oh, (laughs) it takes one to know one, I guess, huh? Yeah. Well, somebody asked me one time, you know, what do you want on your gravestone? And I said, she got a lot done. (laughs) I think maybe you might like that one too. Um, Where was I? I, you know, I just really appreciate this time that you've spent with me. And I hope that people will go to your website, learn more about these wines, learn more about the two of you. You're pretty amazing people. And um, I have been thinking I should have had one of your wines in my hand. The whole time we were talking. Us too. Yeah. What's wrong with us? It's, uh, it's, it's five o'clock now. <laughs> ah, that was it. You started at four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for helping me see that this is another way that you do it. Thank you for modeling the way to pursue passions as individuals, as a couple, a family, and outstanding citizens of the planet. This is terrific. And thank you for being on Terry's doing it. Thank
2: you. You're
1: Terry. welcome. It was a pleasure. Mine too. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you.